right before uh, Christmas, I had a, had a great privilege. Some of y'all know I'm finishing up my PhD, and uh, one of the, the things I've got to do in that is go and, and just learn as much as possible about some new church plants. And uh, one of those church plants was in Birmingham. I've never been to Birmingham before. I got to go there and uh, had a break in my schedule. It was toward the downtown area of Birmingham. Um, and I had four hours. Needed to kill. Didn't know anybody. Didn't know anything. The, all the folks from church had a meeting. So I wasn't going to go to lunch with them or anything like that. And one of them said, well, the, the Civil Rights Museum is just kind of down the road there. And uh, decided I'll, I'll go over there. So this, this was a Monday. I found parking, which was an adventure, and uh, learning my way around a new city. Uh, praise God for Siri. And got there. I walk up to this gorgeous building past uh, the, the church where the bombing happened. It's built right across the street there where uh, Martin Luther King was speaking. A bomb went out. Um, sadly, some teenage girls were killed in that bombing. And the, uh, the museum is right across the street. Walk up to the ticket counter and the bars are down. Closed on Mondays. I thought, well, <laughs> this was just a waste. I have, you know, braved it, not going to see anything. And I look across the street, and there's a park. And it's very obvious that the park has to do with um, civil rights. There's a statue of Dr. King there. And uh, walked over and started just kind of reading the plaques. And, and it was. There was kind of a walk through to, to share, and share the story of what had happened in Birmingham. And uh, I'm sitting there reading plaques as, as the nerd I am. And a guy walks up to me and uh, said, what, what are you doing here? Um, are you from here? And I said, no, I was, I was coming here for the museum and uh, it was closed Monday. And um, he said, have they started closing that Monday? Well, he, he was from in town. He was taking a walk. Um, he'd had the day off. And he said, can I just tell you some of what happened? I grew up here. Um, I ended up spending about two hours with Mike and hearing the stories of what had actually happened in Birmingham. And, I, and I'd read some of the plaques, and of course I, I'm kind of a history buff. I knew a lot of the history. Um, and he said, this is what they don't tell you on the plaques. And he shared the stories with me. We ended up eating uh, fried chicken at a great place. Amazing chicken wings. And he said, this is where we used to go when I was a kid in the early 70s. And it's still here. It's still the same people. I got to walk in to the Barber College and meet the sons of people whose fathers had been the leaders. Uh, the same man owns that Barber College this day. He's in very bad health. Where the people were running from the mobs, the dogs, the water cannons. And they hid in this barber college. And I got to go in and talk with these guys' kids. There's not a plaque in the world that can help you understand what those men shared with me. There's something about a physical, human connection that conveys reality that changes your heart more than anything else. Today, we're going to be talking about the second piece of, of a little series we're going through, our, our new kind of values, our new process um, as a church. And, and it's grow in groups. That's what we're talking about. Grow in groups. And that sounds very standard, very kind of cold. But on a different level, we're not talking about just history here. We're talking about life change. There's something we need to see that only happens with people. Real people. Not podcasts. Not this book written by somebody else in another world. People are how God has chosen to work in this world. And why He chose that, I mean, we are all messed up. I mean, let's, let's just level that. It's not because there's this perfect person out there we're going to learn from other than Jesus Christ. But God has somehow, in His amazing grace, His plan that's bigger and wilder than we could ever dream, has chosen to work through people. 
And just as I learned so much more about what happened in Birmingham and even the whole civil rights movement, by talking with Mike than I ever could have going to that museum, God has set his believers up to be in a church. And Joe started this series last week when he talked about gathering for worship. And gathering for worship, what we're doing right now is the absolutely indisputable core of what a church does. But today, we're going to talk about number two, which truly is number two. It is right behind that. And we're going to see from the scriptures that it follows closely, logically. It is intimately tied together. That growing together in groups is part of God's plan. It's how it's to work. So go with me now to prayer. And then we're going to open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Um, you can go ahead and grab them. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in um, verse 42. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one out there, out of the uh, seat backs in front of you. This is on page 592. Um, we're going to open up God's Word and see what He has in this beautiful plan he has that he's connected us together as people. And the way he plans for us to grow is together. So let's pray together. Father, you are good, gracious, and kind. And Lord, um, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for this place called Providence. These people. Lord, our church is truly not about a building, and we, we do thank you for the building. We don't have to set up chairs and drag a trailer and all those sorts of things anymore. But God, help us remember when you started this church, it wasn't about a building. It was about a people. And God, all through the Scriptures, as we went through the series in Genesis, we, we saw over and over that you've called us to be your people and your place under your blessing and rule. And God, I pray that you would bring us back to the heart of that, growing together. Lord, help us to be clear and understand exactly what you have to say to us. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42. Um, Acts is the story of what the Holy Spirit did after Christ went back to heaven. It's the story of him rapidly planting churches all across the Mediterranean world. And this is the very beginning. This is the first church plant. And they had very rapid growth. On their first Sunday, they went from 120 to 3,000 and 120. Um, one sermon, done. We told Tom to do that, and he just, he failed, you know. But anyway, um, he wouldn't take our advice on that. But anyway, he's still running, you know, like 60 he needs to pray. Um, but Acts 2, Peter's just preached this sermon. 3,000 people have been saved. They've been baptized. And now the church is starting to function on a weekly basis. So there in verse 42, we see exactly how they function. And I want you to pay attention to these first two pieces of our new process. So the first one, gather for worship. The second one we're talking about today, grow in groups. So listen to this, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the big gathering. They were getting together. They were hearing the apostles teach. And the fellowship. We'll define that word here eventually later. But To the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together, so big group, and breaking bread in their homes, small group. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we're going to pull a couple of things out of that apart. The church started, and their priorities were gathering together to hear the word, so gathering in worship, taught by the apostles. Um, and, and by the way, you notice they're apostles. This church had more than one pastor. That's, that's how we do it around here, too. Um, that's just a little bonus. That's not what the sermon's about, but when we're in that text, I want to make sure I point that out. They started with gathering around the scriptures, but it, immediately it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, 
eating together to praying. By the way, what, what is eating together, praying, fellowship, what do we call that here? That's community group, right? Okay. They were together. They were in each other's homes. They were in public places together. They took care of each other's physical needs. From this very simple passage, we see the core of the church. First two steps, gather and worship, grow in groups. There was even hints of the, of the third and fourth. They were serving one another. They were, they were helping with each other's needs. And then they were growing. It says the Lord added to their number every day. So in our process, we gather for worship. It's when we hear the word of God preached. We hear it sung. We hear it prayed. We hear it read. But we need to see here in the church that it's structured in its function based on its very DNA, its makeup. Who they were was driving how they functioned. Jesus was the founder and leader of the church, so they gathered to hear His Word. That's number one. But two, the Holy Spirit was the source and power for that church. So what did they do? They prayed. They devoted themselves to fellowship and prayer. They prayed. The Father was the great affection of the church, so they lived out their lives as His children. In other words, as brothers and sisters. They were functioning as a family. And some of you all know, I mean, if you're family, it doesn't matter what thick and thin, I mean, you get together, you spend time with each other. And it doesn't matter how small of a house you got to cram everybody into. And uh, I mean, we, we moved Monday before Christmas this year. It was nuts. But man, I had to show my, my two brothers and their families the new house. I mean, they had to come over. It, it's family. I mean, you just, it's what you do. That's how family functions. And so if we truly see ourselves as a product of Jesus Christ and His Word, we're going to gather for worship. If we truly see ourselves as empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are going to pray together. And if we truly see God as our Father, we're going to live as His little kids. And we're going to spend time together. And, and I'm going to treat, if I sit in there as my brothers and my sisters, and we're going to love each other, we're going to help each other, and we're going to take care of each other. And that's exactly what we see this early church doing. So when we come and we start talking about growing in groups, it's a big deal. And, and I want to start right off from the get-go, laying this biblical foundation of this is not just something to stick on your schedule. This is not just an additional thing. You know, we got the checkbox. Okay, go to worship. You know, go to Bible study. Okay, I'm good with God. This is foundational to who we are as Christians. In the early church, there would have been two things that they just could not conceive of. Like, you know, army intelligence. It doesn't make any sense, right? They could not conceive of a Christian who was not baptized and not in the church. They wouldn't have thought of you as a Christian. Um, one of the stories Saeed told about this family that um, became Christians. I got to meet them. I mean, it, it just warms my heart. You can't imagine seeing these people and, and knowing they were, they were hurting and struggling. Um, this young man has, has special needs. There are, there are physical needs. Um, some of the time he was in a wheelchair. Most of the time he was in a wheelchair. Great kid. But they got into a church where they're being discipled. What Saeed told us is that there was this family that's taking in the whole family and just not just Sunday mornings, all through the week, just teaching them how to be Christians. They're teaching them how to live an entirely different life as believers. And that's their connection to the church. Folks, this group thing 
is so, so essential. If you don't have relationships outside of Sunday morning in this church, you are not getting the full benefit of this church. Spiritually, you're not going to grab on. And we want that for you. And I'm not talking we as pastors. I'm talking we as a congregation. We want to grow together. Spiritually, numerically too, but we want to grow and it's going to take time together. It doesn't happen like that on Sunday morning. It just doesn't. We're going to get into the practical how-to, but what we've got to get from the very get-go, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. They ate, they did life together, to steal Tom Agnew's term. It is so, so essential. But I want us to see another foundational text. Um, this is in John 13, 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. It's on page 584. If you're using the, the Bible there. John 13, 34. This is Jesus' final instructions. It's right before he is about to be arrested and crucified the next morning. This is, this is Thursday night, middle of the night. He tells his disciples this. A new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this will all people know you are my disciples by your love for one another. If you think about this passage, it strikes you as a little odd. What is the mark of Christians? How do people know they're Christians? They love each other. They love each other. And that's odd at first glance. Um, it it kind of seems a little underwhelming um, to, you know, to quote Seinfeld, I'm, I'm whelmed, just overwhelmed. He, he, it's not that much. Everybody loves each other, right? People love each other all the time. Uh, I mean, how many couples are there around this world that are not Christians? I mean, they love each other. Um, it, it's crossed cultures. It's crossed times. Love has been all around. I mean, all the way from a galaxy far, far away, there's love stories to, you know, high schoolers sitting, you know, trying to, to get alone in the cafeteria. There's these love stories all around. So what is it that signals Christians because of love for each other? I want you to think about it like this. If you're watching TV tomorrow evening, you know, watching whatever the show is that, that, that you're into. And a commercial comes on. And on that commercial stands President Obama, Donald Trump, and Kim Jong-un. And they are hugging. What would happen? One, the world would be over. I know that, granted. But if it didn't end, you would stop everything you were doing and pay attention to that commercial. Because those three don't hug. Um, you couldn't put those three in a room and, and you know all three walk out. I mean, they don't go together. It's inconceivable. And that is Jesus' point. Remember who he had as his disciples? Remember Matthew? Tax collector. Okay, this, this would be the equivalent of the fiscal liberal, very big government. I mean, he was the dude. And you have Simon the Zealot. You know what the Zealots did? They killed the tax collectors with big curved Sakari swords. That was fun. You know, that's Friday night. They hang out together. They pastor a church together. That'd get somebody's attention. That would get somebody's attention. What could bring a farmer, a craftsman, a CEO, a kid's book author, a debt collector, teacher's aide, high school teachers, and kids and high schoolers into the same organization multiple times per week, place them all at an equal standing, put a granola musician, a track and field star businessman, and an academic nerd in charge? 
Who does that? That's providence. Who, there is no reason for this group of people to be together outside of the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. I, I mean, y'all are nice people. I mean, please don't hear me saying I don't like you guys. But I like hanging out with people who are a lot like me who like the things I like and who do the things I do and who don't watch sports on Sunday because that's boring as all get out. I, I'm not going to hang out with Joe because he wants the football game on. I've, folks, I've watched the Super Bowl like seven years in a row. I mean, that's torture. I usually cook. That's what I try to find people who like me to cook. I like to be around people who are like me. Y'all are the same, right? It works really conveniently when I can hang out with people whose kids are the same age as me. Because the kids can all go play and then we can actually have a conversation, adult conversation. I like to... That's not our church. And by the way, that is not the church. What Jesus is saying is we're to love each other and treat each other as brother and sister. You are family. As much if not more than my biological family. Doesn't matter what you do, what age you are, what your political views are, what you like to do, what you like to eat. We love each other. I sacrifice of my time for you. My neighbors, we, we just moved. And I, 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 got to, I had some great neighbors at the other place. And I think I do at this new place too. But I, I don't know them well. And that was one of the hard things about moving. They thought we were the weirdest folks till we got to know each other. Because we had people over at our house all, like every Sunday. They thought, what, what is up? What? Why do these cars all come on Sunday? It stood out to them that we actually had people to our house. That's weird in today's society. Praise God. We can do something easy that's basic. We can eat together. And it stands out. And when they ask, why, why are all, who comes over to your house? Oh, my church. You will know them by your love. For each other. Did you catch what Jesus said? He said people would know we are Christians by our love for each other. He didn't even mention our love for Him. He said this is even more striking. How you're going to love each other. Two big, big picture biblical principles. And there's a third one in your bulletin. And so that was one of those things that sounded really good up here. And then like I went to prepare it and it made no sense whatsoever. So just ignore point three on your bulletin. That's a great scripture to read. Um, but yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, so getting to the application. Sometimes when you print things, that you think you're way ahead. Oh, I got this done. It's printed. Everything is, that's when everything gets done. But there's some applications. And this is not application just for providence. This, this is how we apply the Scriptures as Christians. And we're going to get really specific as we kind of close out the sermon. Here's how we do it right here in the green chairs. But this is just big picture biblical application. So, um, I quite frankly stole this from a church in D.C. called Capitol Hill. This is what they actually do in their new members class. Um, but they talk about four or five principles. I've kind of distilled them down to just a couple. So the first one is you love the whole congregation. Love the whole congregation. This means, yes, I have some friends. My, my best friend's in this congregation. Man, I love, I spend more time with him than probably some of the rest of y'all, you know, random person through the congregation. That said, our calling is to each other. Not just the people like us. Not just the same age as us. 
not just the same likes and dislikes. Because again, if I just hang out with people like me, that makes sense to the world. If I hang out with people who are totally different than me, that's a witness. And that's the calling of Christ. So listen, with that kind of in mind, loving the whole congregation, I, I want you to listen to a couple scriptures and, and another thing I want to read to you. Um, just keep that in mind, love the whole congregation. James 2, 1-7 through 7 says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes also, and if you pay close attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the man, you stand over there, or you, you sit at my feet. Have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my bro beloved brethren, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Has He not promised to those who love Him but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? There are no economic lines in the church. Luke 5.29. I actually referenced this a little bit earlier. And Levi, we know him as Matthew, made a great feast in his house. And there was with him a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And later in this passage, the Pharisees come in, the very religious folks, and they say, how can you do this, Jesus? You're hanging out with the bad guys. This would be the equivalent of Jesus going to a, uh, a rally for Hillary Clinton. I mean, these, these were the liberal, fiscally liberal people of the day. And Jesus is hanging out with him. One of them's the disciple, Matthew, who writes a gospel. Jesus is right there in the middle of it. There are no political lines in the church. And there might be some principles, and not there might be, there are principles of God's Word that guide us in voting and those sorts of things. But you know what? They're a lot broader than we want to make them out to be. And I hate that, because, man, I, you, some of y'all know how strongly opinionated I am. That's got to get laid at the cross, though. That's got to get laid at the cross. The third, I'm not going to read you um, a lot of scripture, an ending of scripture, but I want to quote again, as, as thinking back, tomorrow being Martin Luther King Day, uh, I want to read something he said. This is from his famous I Have a Dream speech. But I want you to pay attention to it. Think about the context where he's speaking, and I, I don't know what his intentions were. I, I know he intended to change things nationwide, but everything he talks about in this speech is about the church. He's talking about Christians here. Listen to this. Listen to this. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners would be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. Did you not just hear that in Acts 2? They're sitting down and eating together. Um, I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression. It will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the, by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with vicious racists, with its governor having lips gripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls, catch this, as sisters and brothers. This is church talk. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and every mountain made low and the rough places be made a plain and the crooked places be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see together. It's a direct quotation from Isaiah, 4, Isaiah 40, 4 and 5. Folks, again, I don't know his intent. But his words were that the church act like the church when it comes to race lines. There's no division. Economic, 
political, racial. We are called to be the church. We've got to love the whole congregation. So the second application. First, we need to love the whole congregation. Second, love sacrificially in humility. Again, love sacrificially in humility. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. We see Jesus living this out. He, he is the example. He sacrificed himself. He faced ultimate lowliness for our sakes. And then, because of the gospel message of redemption, we act as he did toward our brothers and sisters. So listen to this. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participating in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what we're to do. That's what we've been talking about, right? Why? Do nothing, oh, excuse me, hold on, one more thing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's the why. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was a, in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant. So in other words, God himself didn't hold on, didn't cling to his power and glory. He came and looked like a table waiter. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So in humility, because of Jesus, because of His death, burial, and resurrection, which we believe fully, He transforms us to be humble people who will say, I'll give up my time for you. I will give up my money for you. I will give up my preference for you. I praise God for our senior adults in this church. Now, I, I just want to tell you, some of you all, I know you'd probably prefer Chad directing a choir rather than strumming a guitar. But you're here because you believe in the gospel. And you love everybody around and you, you are willing to sacrifice your preference for a desire. I praise God for some of the teenagers here. I, I've heard y'all's bands and you're good. And it's, it's, it's a little, little harder, a little... I don't even, heart is not even the word anymore. I don't even know what to call stuff today. It's awesome. I, I kind of like it. But you're here and you're worshiping right alongside of us. Some of you, I know, could care less about banjo. Some of you wish the banjo was on every. We sacrifice that for one another. And it's not just music, that's just the big obvious one. Schedule. Some of you wish it was earlier. Some of you wish, you know, we started after lunch so you could sleep in. I mean, it's all of it. Some of you, man, you just love Sunday nights, but you're willing to give that up to meet with a community group because that is the fellowship of the brothers and sisters. You open up your homes. Man, it's, it's a pain to clean the house on Sunday afternoon when you're tired. You just want to lay in bed to cook, you know, the mac and cheese one more time. But we sacrifice for one another. I don't know how many times, I, I couldn't count the number of times people have given financially to each other. It's what we do. We humble ourselves. Colossians 3.13. It says this, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You forgive. We put each up with each other's junk. Sometimes, you just got to take one on the cheek for a brother or sister because you love them. Yeah, they're being a turkey. But you know what? There's going to come a day when you're the turkey and they need to put up with you. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's brother burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Acts 2, hearkening back, they, there were people who sold property 
This was their investment property, their retirement. They went out and sold it and gave it to somebody who had a need. So, we love the whole congregation. We love sacrificially in humility. And three, and I think this is, this is the hardest part for us as providence, is we love by speaking God's word. Final application here, we love by speaking God's word. Um, we've got to get the boldness at providence to speak the scriptures to each other based on the fact that we know the scriptures to be the medicine for our sin-sick souls. We need to love each other enough to give each other what we really need, not what the other person just wants. Listen to these scriptures. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, a lot of times we think of the pastors as teaching, the Sunday school teachers as teaching, but listen to how this puts it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, remember the list of one another's that Joe read last week if you were here? Love one another, serve one another. This is a one another. Teach and admonish. Admonish means to just kind of beg, plead. It's, it's kind of that confrontational, brother, this is what the Scripture says. You, you need to come this direction. We do that for each other. We're not, we not being pastors, we being a congregation. We teach and admonish one another. Next, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When the, each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So catch this. The way you have a healthy church, that was a recipe for a healthy church, right? The body's healthy, each part works functionally, it grows. And I think that's both numerically and spiritually. But where it starts is rather speaking the truth in love. Folks, this is where community group, and even beyond community group, the lunch, the coffee, the coming over to somebody's house 10 o'clock at night, this is where it happens. You've got to speak the truth to each other. We've got to speak the truth to each other. I need you guys to tell me when I'm being unhealthy, unspiritual, when I'm sinning. And you need me to do the same. Sometimes you just miss something. Every one of us can think of that person that came in with a new haircut and it's like, what are you They think it's great. We just don't see stuff on ourselves sometimes. I used to have this shirt. It was my favorite shirt when I was in high school, last part of high school, early part of college. And it was um, yellow and blue. And uh, it was just the right shirt for Colorado. It was just enough warm where it was great, but you didn't get hot. I mean, it was a great shirt. What I didn't realize made me look like Charlie Brown. I mean, it was the horizontal star. It was Charlie Brown shirt. Never realized it. Wore it for years. And finally, my best friend said, you look like Charlie Brown. I'm like, no, I don't look like and so then he started saying, good grief, every time I, I did something dumb. And I got the mess. Had no clue. Favorite shirt. You just don't see it in yourself. We need our brothers and sisters. We need our brothers and sisters. All right. So how do we work this out at Providence? Turn your, turn your worship guide over. I, I'm so long. I took two pages. Sorry. Um, this is going to be quick. So here's the deal. That's what we got to do. So the, the sermon's over right now, okay? I'm going to keep talking. I know, that's horrible. The sermon's over. That's the sermon. Here's how we do it. I want to give you some tools. I want to give you the hammer, the nails to accomplish this at Providence. 
Four ways. Ready? First is community group. Um, this is placed first intentionally. This is where relationships really get deep. Um, we do four things together. We do life together. I mean, we just function together. You want to know who was in my house helping me when I was doing all the renovations? It was family and community group. They were over in my house helping. Um, doing life together. It's where we function on the daily thing. This is, this is the Acts 2. Eating in the homes, taking their bread, being happy together. Um, being sad together. So, doing life together. Two, it's based on Jesus' connections, not life stages. It's generally geographical. So this is where we model to the congregation. Why would I have somebody over to my house that doesn't have kids? Why would they be brave enough to come to my house if they don't have kids? You know, I mean, man, we get, you get five, ten kids in my house. I mean, we get going. Um, why would people with no kids come to that? Why would people who are older come? Because we're a body. Because we have the same Jesus. So it's based on Jesus' connections, not life stage. It's generally geographic. We pray for the daily life issues. This is where the deep prayer happens. This is where we go in and we do battle before the throne for each other. Fourth thing, and this is a new thing, and so you're going to start seeing this implemented slowly. Men and women reaching out to their circles of life in order to bring people into the church. So we're going to encourage community groups. Guys, y'all go have a guys' night. Go, go you know, eat wings, watch ball game or other filth. And, and invite the guys that are in your life. Get together. If it's going out and playing golf, if it's uh, frisbee golf, it's, what, you guys know what you can do together and what you enjoy. Be guys where it's not weird and invite all your lost friends. Ladies, the same thing. Whatever, whether it's Panera, that's, I know, my, one of my wife's favorite. Um, Puffy Muffin, and, and I'm just going to heckle the one guy I know in this church that loves Puffy Muffin, so you, you have been heckled. But, but ladies, if it's Puffy Muffin or Nails Done or whatever it is, bring your lost friends. Not in a weird way. Not in a, we're going to have a Bible study discussion today. And, you know, love each other. Talk about the Bible. Hey, here's what God's doing in my life. Can y'all pray for me in this? And suddenly they've met some other Christians and they feel comfortable walking into your church. Maybe into your community group first. Maybe it's straight Sunday morning. Be a team in witnessing. All right, so community group. Second thing, Bible study. Okay, it's exactly that, Bible study. And, and you can call it Sunday school. It's just that, you know, every time somebody says Bible study, you know, a pastor gets a bonus. And we focus on Sunday mornings on walking through the significant Bible passages of the Scriptures. We do this to orient ourselves to a Jesus way of looking at life. Just as, as to orient, and that truly means to look east. East, I'm, okay, look east. Sorry, took me a minute there. That's to orient yourself. It was to look east toward the Orient. We orient ourselves in Sunday morning Bible study. We, we learn to think and learn to look to Jesus for every answer. So it's systematic Bible study. For the next three years, our kids, students, and adults will be going through the exact same Bible passage every single week together. So you go to lunch, you've got two things to talk about. The sermon and the Bible study passage. You can review that. Monday night, whenever you have your time to talk together as a family. This is really important. It's starting peer relationships. So this is where kids meet other kids their age. Students meet other students their age. Adults meet other adults their age. This is where you can ask, hey, has anybody figured out what kind of pacifier works when this... You're around some folks like that. Those things, and peer relationships are important. It's not enough time to develop all those, but it's a start. It's a connecting point. And it's big picture prayer. This is where, you know, if somebody in the class has cancer, you're going to lift this person up. I know our, our Sunday school class uh, in here was uh, lifting up a member who was taken to the hospital this morning. They were praying for her. We may not hit every single prayer need because it's a big group. It's a short time. But we're praying for those big picture things. Um, I want to say this. If you have children biggest thing that we can do for them as a church corporately is to give them 
biblical literacy. So they know their way. They, they get it when you talk about Scripture things. I have not found a better time for that than Sunday mornings. And I've looked. That Sunday morning Bible study is so, so important for kids. If you have kids and aren't there at 9 o'clock, let me encourage you as just a direct application that get your kids there, and, and it's going to help you too, but get your kids there at 9 o'clock and then go to a class yourself. Um, third thing, train. This is our Wednesday night. It's based on semesters. We focus on specific training. That's why we don't have every, like right now, there's no Wednesday nights in January. We're taking a break. It's semester-based. It's very focused on specific purposes. Um, it's topical training. So like this spring, um, starting in February, we're going to be going something called, through something called Reason for God. Top six objections to Christianity. And we're going to talk about how a very godly man, he's a Presbyterian pastor up in New York City, answers those. And how he talks about this. We're actually going to see him on video with people who are not believers discussing these issues. We're going to learn how to talk in some of those ways. Um, it, it's very specific topical training. It's encouragement. Everybody's tired by Wednesday. I mean, home day. Okay, so we, you know, we got to get the commercial. I should have played the commercial. I didn't think about that till now. We're tired. I mean, just be encouraged. Eat, hang out, pray together, love on each other, be encouraged. Continuing relationships. It's not going to be the end all be all of relationships because it's short and everybody's tired and it's kind of crazy coming from work, school. But you foster those relationships. It's another touch. So the fourth thing, Jesus-based friendships. And I stole this word from John MacArthur, and it's, I don't know how else to do it. This is how he defines fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. He said he's looked and looked and looked, and this is the best definition he can come up with. Jesus-based friendships. It's pretty good. This is men and women getting together for a Bible study. Maybe one time, maybe weekly. This is eating together in homes. This is just having somebody over. Well, we need to get back to that, folks. Being hospitable to people in the church and outside the church. It's, hey, we're going to go to Blue Coast Burrito on Tuesday nights. Y'all come. Or it's, hey, I'm headed to the grocery store. Somebody, you know, if y'all need to go grocery shopping, meet me there. Um, it's, we need help with <laughs> ripping flooring up. That was me. It's that just daily functioning. And this is very intangible, undefinable. It's not programmed. But it may be the most important part of it. It's that, hey, I'm really struggling. I am lonely tonight. Can we go out to dinner? And let me tell you, when you get that call, you drop what you're doing and you get out to dinner or have them over or whatever it is. It, it, It goes back to that humbly sacrificing for one another. We do it. So these are tools. And I want to make sure that we get that these are tools. Um, Y'all know I love building things. I, I, I love tools. Sometimes I just like tools to have tools. Are, are there any other guys in here that are like, I mean, oh, I want that. I have, what are you going to do with it? Something. I'll find something. We're going to build this because I want that tool. Well, if you don't use the tools right, they're useless. I want you to watch this video and uh, then we'll wrap up. Tihomir, are you going to get a machine? Yes. Do you know what you're doing right? Yes. Let me show you. Bravo. Bravo. Dobro, dobro, pregrijaće se, čuješ? I to si sve napravio za sat vremena, kažeš. Da. Bravo. Bravo. Svaka čast. Bravo. The best tool is useless if it's not used right. If you have on your... Okay, we're going to get in community groups. 
Because that's what John said. And we're going to get in Bible study too. And we're going we're gonna to have 10 people a week over to our house. And you miss Jesus. You're using the tool all wrong. You are banging at a stone wall with the power hammer doing nothing. We grow in groups. That's what we do. We gather for worship. We grow in groups. Next couple weeks, we serve our church and community. And we go to our neighbors and the nations. See how you need to get in a group. If you need help connection, Connect Center out there, we'd love to chat with you. We'll have one of their pastors by the fireplace if you want to talk about some of that kind of stuff. We would absolutely love to help you grow in groups here at Providence. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship together. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the morning. I know we've, we've gone long, um, but what a joyous morning talking to a brother across the world. Um, thank you for the technology that sort of helped us do that this morning. Thank you, Lord. You are gracious and kind. and I ask that you would just allow us to grow. Lord, spiritually and numerically, we are in desperate need of a church, of a move of your spirit, Lord. God, we know that's going to come by, by devoting ourselves to the teaching of your word and growing together in groups and just doing what you've called us to do, what you've created us to do because Jesus You've given us your word because, Spirit, you are our power. And because, Father, you are exactly that, our Daddy. Help us to live exactly like that, Lord. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.